Hey friends, you're listening to Why This, a podcast where a couple of food scientists learn why people love the things they love. Today's topic, improv. Welcome to Why This, as always brought to you by Draft Lab. Draft Lab helps food and beverage producers improve the taste and quality of their products with best-in-class sensory software, tools, and training. Visit draftlab.com to learn more or reach out to us on social media if you're interested in becoming a better taster. I am your host, Lindsay Barr, with my co-host, Matt Conyer. Uh, Matt and I work together every day, and I feel like we use improv kind of frequently. Do you think that improv plays a role in, in our world in sensory? I mean, I guess you wouldn't think so since it's a science and it's kind of rigorous. There's rules to what we're doing, but... The whole human side, I mean, we kind of have to, to kind of figure some of these things out. Some of some of the products we run into sometimes, there's no no rule book on how to handle them. So yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, here and there. <laughs> well, our, our guest today is going to clarify some things and tell us uh, what we're doing wrong, I'm sure. Um, so today's guest, we were fortunate enough to present with her at the Pangborn Sensory Conference. And as an extra bonus, that trip... We got to watch her perform at the Fringe Festival with her improv group called A Family Affair. She is the Senior Director of Operations at Cutwater Spirits in San Diego, California. She's also held leadership roles at multiple trade organizations and some of the largest beverage manufacturers in the world. Uh, so Brooke Bell, I'm really glad that you're here. Thank you for coming on to the podcast. Hello. Great to see y'all. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. This is going to be fun. So, Brooke, what's your relationship <laughs> with improv? Well, um, I fell in love with improv many moons ago. Um, actually, since like high school, I saw um, a short form improv team perform. And I, during the show, they're like, hey, if you like this, sign up for classes. And at the intermission, I was like signing up because I just knew that that would be for me. And then it kind of waned and got back into it in my adulthood in 2014 in St. Louis. Um, and then when my life took me to Chicago for a while, the home of improv of some super famous improvisational theaters and long form improv um, is really when I dove in and I was performing two, three times a week on some of the city's bigger stages. Uh, and like you mentioned, had a chance to perform internationally, which was a trip. And um, it's just been a great artistic outlet for me. Yes. Yeah. During the day, you're doing rigid quality control, director, directing operations, and then at night you can be a little bit more creative. So we asked you to come up with the top three reasons why people love improv. Um, so I'm excited to get right into it. So what is your first reason? Um, my first reason, I, I figured we'd you know start with the practicality side. I think the first reason people really get into improv is to practice listening and to practice confidence in public speaking. So some of those more tangible skills you get out of improv. I know like a lot of my teammates and, co and cohort, if you will, started it because their boss said they needed to. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then like fell in love with the art form. Uh, and so, cause, cause improv is all about the listening piece I can talk about first is since you don't know what the other person is going to say, you need to be listening and listening deeply and listening with reverence, with uh, support in mind and with wanting to make that other person look like a rock star. 
is a good habit to build that can carry you into other parts of your life. Uh, it was fascinating. It was really cool. But do you use these skills then all the time? I would imagine you would everywhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that just uh, people say improv and you're like, yes, and and it's like the old trope of improv. <laughs> but there's a reason it's like stuck around because there's something to it where you you acknowledge what the person's saying and then you expand on it or you make it bigger, more interesting, more goofy. And as a manager, especially that assumption of positive intent and like listening with reverence is like, okay, I see where you're coming from. Interesting. You've brought me a problem. All right, let's dig in with that positive attitude and assumption of positive intent that I use all the time. And um, I'm lucky at my level in the workplace, I get to have someone I'm like, hey, will you make me slides for this presentation? <laughs> and I'll get them like the day before. And I know the material, but I, I'll be like, yeah, I can riff for that on five minutes. Like, no big deal. I got that slide. Okay, next. All right. And I can just even jump into a presenting mode pretty easily because I have the confidence from improv practice. I'm like, oh, I can, I can vamp for five minutes. I can dig into this a little bit. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'll get there. And it's, it's a cool confidence that I've been able to build too. Yeah, it's like a superpower. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, that definitely came out when we were presenting at Pangborn. Seems like it should just be like mandatory executive training. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> honestly, all of the executive watching this call, please take notes. <laughs> yeah. So on that, obviously, I mean, you do training and practice, but are, th are there any like small things that you, you think about or if someone was just to get yourself in the mindset? Yeah, I think there's, um, we lovingly call it, I, I went to this improv summer camp, which is where I picked up the terminology is they call it the crusty mustard. Like your first couple of ideas are, uh, you, okay, you know, when you have a bottle of mustard and you haven't gotten mustard out of it in a while, you want to shake it up and then you kind of squeeze it off to the side first and then the mustard comes out. So the, <laughs> that, there's that like mindset where you kind of get the crusty mustard out. You have a, you just do a couple bad scenes or you in practice, like before the actual thing, or you just kind of like go blah, 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 and uh, get out your crusty mustard. And then, and then you got the sauce. So I would say just like a little rough through rehearsal or kind of get those nervous thoughts or that nervous energy out. And then you kind of got yourself collected either for a show presentation, whatever you're, you're improvising. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Like you kind of have to be good at failing. And like, that's, that's definitely a skill that you have to, to build. And Matt and I actually talk about that all the time. Like we can't be afraid of failing. We just got to get out there and do stuff. I think yeah. internally we'll start calling that the crusty mustard, Matt. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're taking that for yeah, sure. We're definitely taking that. All right. So that was reason number one. Brooke, what is reason number two? Reason number two, I think is just to play. Um, when I started improv, People were like, hey, we should play together sometime. And I was like, that's a weird phrase. But <laughs> I, I, it's like I've come around to it, especially like more and more studies have come out recently about how important it is, even as adults, to just play. Like we're always so task-oriented, to-do list-oriented. So I, I highly recommend improv for that, to just get out of your own head, leave the to-do list in your car, and just like joke around with people you trust, have some fun and, and just like, and play. That as a mindset, even with the, you know, being okay with failure, just, just framing something as I'm just, I'm going to play for a little bit. That's, that's such a simple thing. And it kind of opens it up for everyone. Like one of my thoughts with improv was like, 
Uh, you just have to, you have to be a funny person if you're going to be good at it. And I don't really consider myself to be like a funny person. So I, I never thought that I could be all that good at it. But if you just kind of go into it with the mindset of I'm just going to mess around, it kind of opens it up for people that are also like not funny. So do you have to be funny? <laughs> to- good question. That's what <laughs> yeah. I No, you don't. I honestly think some of the best improv I've seen is people who aren't funny or trying to be funny. Like, because really the most compelling scenes are scenes that the audience can relate to where they're like, oh my gosh, I've been there. I've just gotten broken up with, you know, oh, I, I misplaced this thing. Oh, I'm seeing this person for the first time. Oh, I'm meeting my new roommate from Craigslist. Like some of these situations we all re- can relate to. And, and the magic of improv is like, you could be meeting your new roommate from Craigslist, which is relatable, um, but you're on the moon. So it's like you you can have this like very serious conversation like, oh man, yeah, where'd you live before this? I'm like, Andromeda 7, you know? So like, and then all of a sudden it's relatable and it's rooted in truth. And all the time people are like, oh, I'm not funny. I can do improv. I'm like, you can, because really in your everyday life, you're having just a serious improv scene. You're Most of the time, you're not sure what your coworker is going to say. Hey, how was your weekend? You don't know what they're going to say. So if we're listening and engaging with people, we're actually improvising all the time. So the ideas that usually when you start the show, you usually get those from the audience, right? What what makes like a so you said a good idea would be something kind of grounded in truth. What would be an example of like a terrible idea if someone came up with it that you'd be like, no, I don't want to do that one. Uh, you know, you can kind of get that person that is trying a heckler. Any comedy show can have a heckler, and you can come out and be like, all right, can we get a suggestion of? anything at all and they're like you know I don't want to curse on the chat were you going to say is that what you about to say I was going to finish that word but I cut myself off okay got it they could say you know like something you know they'll be like world war 2 you're like oh gosh okay I don't want to end up in a problematic zone so you just do kind of associations you like, all right world war ii makes me think of airplanes which make me think of this trip i went on so you like are honoring the audience's connection but you kind of spin it you don't end up in a in a risky territory if you will so you're still listening you're still listening yeah and so there is such thing as a bad improv scene and a bad improv scene really comes from people not listening to each other or saying no mm-hmm. like it's like someone's walking a dog, you know, they're clearly trying to like walk a dog and you're like, what's with that rock in your hand? You know, you're not honoring, you're not making your partner, scene partner look like the genius they are. And that's when you get in that like bad improv territory. So listening, you're right. It's the root of all of it. All right. So how about, re- how about reason number three, Brooke? Reason number three is um, to, to laugh, to get the laughs. Uh, there's a, certain aspect to performing comedy where you want the validation it's true um people get into they want to flex those muscles to maybe improve their stand-up or improve um their sketch writing a lot of sketches start as an improvised scene that they're like oh that was good let's write that down improv is a good place to do that because i think this is a quote from uh, might be tina fey as well because yeah on comedians in cars getting coffee where she's like i love improv because um when you bomb you bomb together but when you laugh when you get a laugh it's everybody's laugh yeah and, I, and that's always like oh I would much rather 
bomb with my friends, but have the laugh be shared. <laughs> and so like getting that laugh and improv is still equally satisfying, especially if, if you're with your friends and, and you're using that to kind of hone your comedy skills altogether. So one of the, one of the things I, I hear about are improv games, right? That's a that's mm-hmm. a part of the practice. What's like an example of an improv game? I would say there's probably two ways I I would hear that phrase and say, "Ooh, are you talking short form or long form?" Because ah, yeah. short form a game would be like um, like whose line is it anyway? Like props or um, sound effects or the one where they all line up and have to like have a punchline kind of race that would be like an improv game in the short form world and in the long form world a game is kind of when you have a show going on and then the whole cast kind of comes back together and so in long form that would be a game where the the cast kind of takes a breather and can kind of reset the show by doing something all together sure and but you mentioned liking liking the long form part and is Mm -hmm. I guess is that it sounds like it's more of that team game. Yeah, I, I like the challenge of a long form show where it's like, oh, I got to keep this thing up for 30 to 50 minutes. Yeah. Like, whew, all right, let's go. We've really got to be in tune with one another. And I think, too, there's it's fun to see the audience derive meaning from it. Because for us, I remember a show we did uh, one time in, in Family Affair, actually. And it was kind of about reaching for your dream. Like it, the theme kind of ended up being like, one of the people needed to achieve their dream but wasn't doing anything about it. And so we thought we thought we just had this funny show kind of alluding to Jordan Peele and like Tessa the character. And we're like, all right, that was fun. And people were like, oh my God, that just made me want to apply for a new job. And someone else came to like a completely different interpretation. And so I think with long form and game and group, like even the audience will come back and be like, Oh, that made me feel this way, and you're like, really? I just thought we were talking about Jordan Peele. Like, but <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of it's kind of cool to see it more so in the long form some of that, like because you have more time with it, and the audience can kind of get into it with you. What they even think it was about? That's exactly yeah. what my experience yeah. was. As I was like, yeah. I felt like so much of me was in there, even though I wasn't. I had nothing to do with it. I felt exhausted <laughs> after it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so are you are you getting back on the beat right now? Are you doing any improv out in the world? Or are you too busy? <laughs> <laughs> um there's a theater here that's kind of in the um Bankers Hill neighborhood went and saw their Saturday night show and five dollars they brought the house down. It was some of the best improv I've seen in a really, really long time. So shout out um, to find the city theater in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was looking at classes there because I just know I'd learn something from those house teams. They were awesome. So I think now that I'm kind of, I moved here recently, so I was getting my footing in the city and uh, now I want to get back into it for sure. So this was a lot of fun, Brooke. Thank you so much for coming on. I'll let you get back to your, your normal day job. Yeah, great to see y'all. Thanks again for having me. This was a blast. Why This is produced by the team at Draft Lab, where we help companies demystify consumer experiences through flavor analysis. To learn more, reach out through our website, and of course, like, subscribe, and everything is always yes and, right? (laughs) So (laughs) see you all out in the world. Bye.